This satellite racing podcast is brought to you by Ellis Engineering, Moridness, Nemesis, Lab and Dr. Dabber. Welcome to the Satellite Racing Podcast, and on to today's episode, day, I've got a a member from a, a podcast, that they, another podcast that people may be familiar with in the sim racing scene and also real life motorsport. He's from the Into the Apex Podcast, and that's Jordan Groves. And first off, Jordan, thanks for thanks for popping on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to be here on on this podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if, uh, first off, uh, how how have you been? And have you been up to much for yourself? I know you've been up to quite a lot, and uh, on the i races scene, especially you're uh, taking part in the Motorsport UK. F- uh, what is it, Formula Six Hundred series? Yeah, it's the uh, UK FF Sixteen Hundred Cup uh, Esports Cup. So it was the support series for the British F Four uh, Esports Championship. Um, yeah, I've I've never done a championship like that, so. You know, a full broadcast through race spot. You know, proper officiating, and you know, it, I, I was excited just to be able to have the chance to qualify. Basically, their whole premise was that they, it was giving an opportunity for amateur drivers, so they had a, a vetting process to make sure that no one who qualified was a professional esports driver. So, you know, I thought, you know, let's see if I qualify. Managed to do so, which was enough of a surprise. <laughs> um, and yeah, just just got finished uh, with the eight rounds of that. Ended up finishing, I think, twelve out of twenty six. So top half, I'll take that. Um, and yeah, it was it was really fun. I've I've been sim racing for like ten years and and never done a championship like that. So it was quite quite nice to experience that. And the, yeah, you talk about the like uh, qualifying for the series. Uh, what kind of uh, procedures or how did they go about uh, doing the qualifying? I guess it was sort of was it sort of in a way like basically setting a qualifying lap or doing qualifying laps if you like and just stay basically taking i guess your best time yeah so it was your standard kind of uh time trial and then top x amount get through into the qualifying so it was um yeah i think we had a, a week to do it uh it was at the alton park island circuit and i tell you what after the hundreds of laps that i've done of that that layout i hate that place now um <laughs> And and yeah, I think it was top thirty that went through, and then they had to, like I said, go through this vetting process to make sure that the top thirty they selected weren't professionals. And then from there, you were in for the eight rounds. Nice, and the, yeah, just uh, looking at the season as well. Where, how do you think it went from from your your perspective? Do you think uh, it went as well as you as you hoped, or do you think there were some? Maybe areas or races that you think you could have, you could have done better or improved on, or do you, do you look back and think, oh, I could have done better, or I was maybe too a little bit too cautious, or how how do how do you think it went? It's funny, like I said, when I, when I qualified, I was like, I'm just happy to have qualified for a championship like this, and so I, I was expecting fields of around twenty six to thirty. So my goal was to finish top twenty in every race. Um, and then maybe get points by the end of the year. And then I scored, like, I got seventh place in the first round, 
<laughs> so I was like, okay, I've got to adjust my expectations a little bit. Um, so then made it so that I wanted to score points in every round and, and managed to do that at all but one round, which was Alton Park, ironically. Um, yeah, looking back on it, obviously I, I ended up finishing 12th overall, um, considering I was hoping for a bare minimum of points going into it. I'm happy on that sense, but looking back, there were definitely things that I could have done better. I, I, as you said, uh, or suggested there, cautiousness. The The races were chaotic. Like There was a lot of questionable driving standards so a lot a lot of my sort of mentality going into each race was just trying to survive um and then knowing that if i survived i'd get points so there were a couple of times where i maybe took that a little bit too far could have been a little bit more aggressive alton park in general was just a nightmare as i had computer issues which really helped hurt my practice um but yeah i, I think in hindsight looking back i probably could have got a top 10 in points which i would have been quite happy but the people at the front uh, particularly the champion Henry Moore and second place Dana Moore were just in a complete different league. They they were unbelievably good. And uh, I believe as a result of the, them finishing one and two, they're going to be in British F4 next year. So I'm really excited to see what they do. They're, they're, they're really young. Like I'm, I'm 28, uh, no, 27 rather. I can't remember what year, how old I am. I'm 27 and they're like 15. Um, and yet they are unbelievably talented sim drivers and real racing drivers i believe they both do karting so yeah <laughs> on one hand i look back and i'm like i can't believe i got beaten by these kids but on the other hand they are immensely talented so just to finish p12 in a grid like that i'm, I'm quite happy about yeah i mean i i've watched the i watched the, some of the broadcasts uh, during the season and just the amount, yeah the amount of speed the base or basically quick game uh, some of some of the like the the front runners up at the front it's just uh, it was absolutely unreal but I guess uh, on the other hand as well with uh, like when you've got young uh, sim racers if you like I guess uh, with them being young they've got plenty of plenty of time or loads of time to put in the practice so I guess on the on the other hand that helps but yeah I think uh, yeah apart from that what's the we were talking about it uh, before we came on air, but uh, what's the uh, the plans for the rest of the season? The uh, uh, series wise, is there any series that you've uh, you've got lined up, or is it pretty much just the uh, focus focus uh, back on the, the official races when uh, when the season gets underway next week? Yeah, so prior to Formula Ford, I, did, I didn't really do a lot of leagues or series. Um, I, I'm looking out for one because I do prefer sort of league racing to official racing, just because. You know, iRacing so built around the whole iRating and safety rating system. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, look too much at those numbers rather than actually racing. Um, so I prefer a lot to do league racing where that doesn't matter. It's not to say that I then become a dirty driver or something, but, you know, it's I, I don't have to think about trying to survive. I can just race properly. So at the moment, I haven't got any leagues lined up. I'm, I'm hoping to find something in in future, but... Yeah, back to officials. Um, last season, I did Super Formula and IMSA uh, as my two main series. I'm going to be doing Super Formula again because that car is probably my favorite in all of iRacing right now. I, I adore the Super Formula. Um, and then, yeah, just pairing that with something else. I don't know what yet. Um, maybe IMSA again. Um, I've just joined um, or just started a new team, uh, esports team called Pax Oceani with a, a bunch of my uh, friends that I've been driving with for the last couple of years and we're gearing up for the special events next year so 
obviously there's a bit of a focus on Daytona 24 right now, so running IMSA in preparation for that is probably going to be crucial. But um, other than that, there's that uh, new uh, GT. Uh, so the series with the GT1s and the GT2s, they've added the HPD as a prototype class. I might do that as well. Anything with downforce, basically. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I know uh, there's nothing really. I know the official series race, and I need to get. I was saying I need to get back into doing it because I've not done it for or done it done it properly for probably two or three seasons. Now, but I've just kind of been doing uh, the odd race here and there. But uh, pretty much like yourself and the. Uh, my team as well. We're pretty much at the moment. We're focusing on a couple of it. Excuse me, a couple of endurance leagues on i racing. But I think when it gets to what are we, yeah, we're in pretty much just about the early to mid December. I think our yeah, the our aim for will probably go to go towards the Daytona twenty four. And I think that's what I plan to do because yeah, the Daytona twenty four. I I've won it in the past back in when did I. I think it was 2017 or 18 I won it and yeah hey yeah what's what's felt good but yeah I'm the same my focus will be on that but yeah hey, sim racing in general how did you how did you first get into it and how how did it come about was that through a friend or was it what the was it through maybe the maybe starting starting another the uh, sim racing platform say R Factor R Factor Two that's those sort of things or was it just through if you like word of word of mouth. So, um, ra- ra- it, it came through real racing. So my family, um, my, my eldest brother, Michael and, and my dad, uh, were racing a lot during my childhood. My brother is a national karting champion here in the UK. Um, so funnily enough, when, so he was doing it around the time, uh, I was about six, seven, eight years old or so. That was the main time. Uh, so for a long time, I actually didn't like motorsport. I just associated it with waking up really early to go on a long drive to stand and watch my brother racing in the rain. Um, I started getting into real racing around, around the time that he had to stop for financial reasons. Um, so there was there was a part of me that, that wanted to do real racing and, and couldn't because of financials. Um, around that time, I started having a go on my brother and my dad's uh, gaming setups, which were very rudimentary, like PlayStation 2 or or terrible pc that we had under the under the stairs um so the first racing game i ever played was grand prix 4 um and then around the same time Toka race drivers 2 and 3 um at first it was just driving at the speed limit on Toka 3 (laughs) just because i didn't really understand how any of it worked and then i I vividly remember one day trying to take it seriously and i I was trying to match my brother's times at montreal or something like that uh, gilles villeneuve and and I got a little bit close, and that's when the bug started. Uh, shortly after, got a console. Um, me, my um, my brother, and my other brother, we 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 all got a console each and started playing Forza Motorsport. Uh, I took it a little bit more seriously after a while. Um, entered uh, league championships through the Online Racing Association. Um, did that from about 2013 to 2019-ish. And then, like, f- throughout the last couple of years of that, I was thinking, you know, I, if I want to do sim racing properly, I need to get on PC. Because sim racing is so much better on a PC. There's just so much more choice. Um, so, yeah, after that, 2019, got a gaming PC, got an iRacing. Started, you know, uh, started my own team um, with a couple of my friends. Done a couple more teams since then. And it's all kind of snowballed from there. So, so yeah, you you I could you could pretty much say that I, I racing is the only 
but I guess uh, some racing platform you've been on, or have you, uh, have you, have you dabbled in anything else, or is it mainly just eye racing that you've been kind of just been doing most of your racing on? Uh, eye racing is the one that I use for the for the competitive stuff. So when it, when it comes to driving any kind of sims, I'll drive I, I'll drive and have driven anything, um, everything from R Factor to I've been doing the Ren Sport beta, set of course of modding, F1 games, WRC. I'll play them all, but iRacing, just because of the way... I, 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 That's the one that feels the best to me. That's the one that does competition online the best for me. Um, you know, iRacing's the best for that kind of serious competition stuff. But when it, when it comes to driving anything, I, I literally... I've got about, I don't know, 15 different sims currently installed on my PC, and I'll, <laughs> I'll go to all of them regularly. I, I really enjoy the variety of sim racing and you know getting to try all sorts of different combinations and tracks and cars that other sims don't offer i i like i tend to have um when it comes to recreational sim racing i tend to have a sim for every purpose so r factor 2 i'll use a lot for this formula e content and the the cart sim uh content uh ams2 i'll use a lot for the historic content because that's really good um assetto corsa mate that's mainly my norch life a track day <laughs> sim um yeah, iRacing is the main one, but I'll play. I'll play all of them. They're they're all really good. Yeah, so it sounds similar to me. I kind of iRacing is my iRacing is my go to for my go to some these days for pretty much say anything league racing, official races, or just uh, arrive and drive sort stuff as well. Be anything else outside of that, I'd probably say. I'd probably say ACC is like my other go-to for say GT, G, so again GT three racing or just GT race, GT racing in general. Because I do, it's, I don't. It's kind of both of them have uh, yeah, both of them I, I do like uh, ACC. I do like for the 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 changeable weather if you like uh, starting races in the dry and then say maybe halfway through it starts raining. But I just like it for because the f- GT cars feel really good and also I do like to have a bit of fun in the. Uh, the GT4 cars from time to time as well, but yeah, I think he, and it's a, a discussion, a discussion as well. But I'll probably come back to it at some point. But yeah, hey, uh, yeah. What uh, what teams do you race with when I racing? So uh, at the moment, we've just started a team uh, called Pax Oceani. Uh, we we've our ma- our first major race is going to be Daytona. Uh, that's made up of myself, a couple of other people that I've been racing for a while in other teams, um, and then. Uh, basically a, a lot of us met through um the forza days that i mentioned uh, a, a few of us met through there started a team on iRacing a couple of years ago and then we've now started this new team that's brought in some people that we met through uh mad sim um so yeah we're, we're literally just starting out we, we got our first batch of paints through from from our brilliant designer alan paris uh the a couple of days ago um and yeah uh I I really do enjoy the team aspect of sim racing and you know the collaboration, the shared goals and and yeah I I just enjoy all of that. So yeah, Pax Oceani at the moment I've raced for. Um, Fulcrum Sim Racing was the last one I raced for in the Forza days. It was Allied Forces. I, I've I've kind of been all over the place with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then basically looking looking at a podcast as well where we're talking about that before we came on the. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, if I'm correct, uh, you you were a part of the was it the Simcast podcast? Uh, it's like it's Simcast podcast uh, uh, for quite a while as well. And uh, how 
how did that come about? How did you get involved with that? Was it just again, just they did someone they basically message you and get offer you an opportunity, or was it kind of a was it sort of similar to your sim racing team? They was it a bunch of friends who just kind of like gathered around and decided to they decided to start it. So it, it that goes back to the consoles as well. So before it was called the Simcast, uh, it was called the Tora Radio Show. That was the official podcast for the Online Racing Association, uh, the uh, Xbox Forza League that we were in. Um, I was a guest on that a couple of times God, back in like 2015, 2016. And then after a couple of episodes of that, the uh, host of that, Matt Hunter, uh, asked if I wanted to be on the show more regularly. Um, then just before the... Um, covid lockdown and everything happened um we rebranded to become simcast uh we started what that show had been a monthly podcast during the lockdown we became a uh, weekly uh podcast uh rsl were really happy with what we were doing um and yeah that that you know we pivoted away from just covering stuff about torah to covering the world of sim racing as a whole and i really enjoyed that because obviously sim racing is one of my two major passions um but I, I've always wanted to go into podcasting about real-world racing. Um, so toward the end of last year, I started looking elsewhere to see if, if there was a way I could get into that instead. Um, found out that the guys at uh, the Into the Apex Podcast Network were looking to expand into a podcast about real-world racing. Uh, I asked if I could be involved. Tyler said, would you like to run it? So I was like, okay. Um and and here we are, yeah. We're we're just coming up to the end of our first year of doing the Into the Paddock podcast, um, with uh, my co-hosts Greg, uh, John, and JD, and it it's brilliant. Uh, I think the thing that that's shared across the both of them, Simcast and uh, Into the Paddock, is it always felt like it was. It, it didn't feel like it was work doing the podcast. It was just jumping on and having a conversation that I'd probably be having with them anyway. But the only difference being that we'd press the record button. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it, it's been you know both talking about sim racing and real world racing. It's just fun to have a different way to to involve yourself with the the thing you love, racing and sim racing. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I guess a uh, similar to into the into the paddock uh, podcast as well, and also uh, into the apex as well. Or uh, yeah. I can't remember what one is it. What is one is it you do again? I'm, uh, I'm pretty bad there <laughs> because I know that's like so. Ours is into the paddock, and uh, to just to confuse it, our parent company is the into the apex podcast. So apex is the sim racing one, and paddock is the uh, real world one. Yeah, I was getting mixed up there because I couldn't remember <laughs> what, what what one it was you done because I know there's a, the, I know there was a into the apex as well. So yeah, trying to. Trying to remember what one you done was. The, the I've been on both, so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, similar to Subcast. How did the how did like you say uh, how did the opportunity come about to uh, get join the into the paddock uh, podcast? Uh, was that just again? Was it kind of did one of the guys or one of the team uh, send you a, a message asking if they, if you would be interested? It was kind of luck, really. So so as I said, I've been looking around to try and get into the real world podcasting for, uh, about real real world motorsport. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd been talking with one of my friends and now co-host uh, JD Daniel about how I wanted to do that. And he happened to be, I, I think he had seen or listened to a couple of episodes of the Into the Apex podcast and was in their Discord and saw them put out an advert for, you know, they, they were looking to expand their network and have a couple of sister 
podcast shows. Um, so he sent me the advert. I sent Tyler a message, um, Tyler Beeman, a message saying, look, I'm interested. I've, I've done podcasting for five or so years, really into real motorsport and wanting to, to do a real world show. Um, would you be interested in me in, 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 in me and being one of the hosts? And, and he said, you can be the host. Um, you, you know, you, you can put together a team of, of whatever people you want to be on the show. You, yeah, they, they've essentially just given me the uh, blank canvas to do what we wanted with it. And yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. Like doing, like I said, we've done it weekly since mid to late January of this year. And it's it's flown by. It's been really, really good fun. And on the into the into the pilot podcast as well, let's see. I'm guessing it's pretty much talking about real life motorsport and series. So basically, your like NASCAR, F1, the sports car endurance racing, be it the say IMSA, European Le Mans series, a WEC, a Asian Le Mans series as well. I guess a they pretty much any form of motorsport. Yeah, that was the thing I wanted. I didn't want to focus on just one motorsport because I. Whenever I'm not sim racing, I fill every waking moment with as much other motorsport as possible. So I wanted to do kind of a a roundup of all different major series. So we, we, we had to limit ourselves. We didn't want the show to be about seven hours long. It, it could easily be. So, you know, we, we picked like the bigger series. So the ones we fr- frequently did were like F1, IMSA, WEC, IndyCar, uh, Formula E. Uh, I don't know whether I said NASCAR or not, but NASCAR as well. And then, you know, when the, when we had a quiet week, we'd talk about other series like Supercars with the Barfus 1000, or uh, we did a, an episode on, on Macau. Um, and now all the, now all the uh, series are finished for the year. We're, we're ending the year with a couple of discussion-based episodes, like um, last week, uh, this week's episode that released on uh, uh, Tuesday. Uh, it was all about how to fix Formula One, uh, which was a bit of a weighty subject, but that was pretty good. Um but yeah, that, that, yeah, the large focus of it has been on those major series. But you know, occasionally we'll dabble. All of us that are involved in that podcast are all sim racers ourselves. That's how we met through the MSR Discord. So occasionally we'll have a little bit of a tangent off into sim racing as well. But um, yeah, it, it's it's been really good fun. Yeah, the, also the the podcast as well. I think it's the the we add to the apex as well. I think uh, from what I've I've saw on social media and they, and just in general, I know that they they do quite a lot of, or they have done quite a lot of the uh, like kind of like real life motorsport meetups as well. So have you got any yourself? Uh, I know that I believe that you're planning to go over to Indianapolis for the five hundred next year. So have you got any plans to meet up with the rest of the gang? Yeah, um, yeah, they are they are very famous for their motor, their meetups now and. Um... Yeah, as you said, next year I'm I'm finally getting over to the United States to watch the Indy 500, and uh, they were going to that already. A lot of the MSR guys, so um, I I haven't organised anything set in stone yet, but I'm sure at some point I'll attend one of their meetups at, at Indianapolis next year. Um, I, I believe I well I'm going with JD, one of my co-hosts. I, I believe Greg and John are interested in going as well, so we might even be recording an episode of the Into the Paddock podcast from Indianapolis. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited to meet a lot of them. It, it, it's always fun, you know, with with people like JD. You know, I've I've been racing with him for about five or six years, and obviously he's in the United States. I'm in the UK, so having the opportunity to to meet these people that I've been talking to for so so long in real life is is it's going to be fun. I've I've never had 
that opportunity. There's been a lot of people who I've been sim racing with in that time who live in the UK that I haven't met. So <laughs> to be able to do it with a lot of these guys who who are in the United States, that's, that's going to be really fun. Yeah, they talk. If you do make it make it over to to Indy, uh, what's the plan? Are you planning to go for like the whole the like the whole May like basically go try and make it to like the like practice sessions and qualifying sessions and pretty much say uh, leading up to race day. So um no I, I won't be able to do the whole of May sadly um I I can't book that amount of time off of work I'd I'd love to but um what I'm doing instead is I I watched a video from i5G about their experience of the Indy 500 this year and and a lot of what I've modeled the itinerary off of what I'm going to do whilst I'm over there is based on what they did so uh firstly I I'm flying into Baltimore instead of Indianapolis to to um road trip there with JD uh, the the road trip's going to be longer than the flight, which is hilarious. Um, we'll be getting there Thursday, and then I, I we haven't booked these tickets yet, but this is what we're planning. Uh, the uh, Circle City Raceway, the dirt track, is hosting r- uh, races on the Thursday night, so we'll be going there. Friday is Carb Day, the final practice day for the 500, so we'll be going to that, and then hopefully uh, in the evening at Indianapolis Raceway Park, they'll be having some races there as well, so we'll get to experience some uh, paved short track racing as well um and then the sunday obviously the 500 as well so well, uh, i'm quite happy that i'm gonna get a chance to experience so many different flavors of american motorsport because you know we were talking about coming over to watch imsa and i'd like to do that one day but the opportunity to experience some kind of racing that you don't really get to see in this country is the main reason that i want to go out there so yeah to be able to cross off short dirt oval racing sprint cars short track oval racing the uh indie uh indie lights or or usf 2000 rather irp and then the 500 that's yeah it's going to be a pretty full week <laughs> yeah and talking you were talking about the visit in imza as well the i guess uh, but if you get you ever got a chance i guess uh, daytona would be at the top of the list or maybe if you can't make it to daytona uh, i guess uh, sebring would be the next one Daytona's the one, yeah. Um, we we were originally planning on doing Watkins Glen, but I thought, you know, if I'm going to go all that way, I want a bit of a longer race, so that leads you to either the 12 or the 24. And I I I love the 24 hours of Daytona. I would say that's my favourite endurance race of the entire year, um, just to watch as a spectator. So I, if I was going to go over to watch anything, it would, it would probably be Daytona. I I just love, you know, I've got an affinity with oval racing. I I adore you know sim racing over racing myself and then watching it um so you know whilst it whilst i wouldn't go to daytona for the 500 necessarily um i'd, I'd love to go there for the 24 like i i adore that race you know it signifies it's one of the most one of the most competitive endurance races of the year one of the most varied in terms of the amount of drivers that go there and you know it's the start of the motorsport season for a lot of people so it's always been one that i've i've really really enjoyed yeah, they, yeah. There's a, there's there is a a twi- a 24-hour race I would love to visit. The apart, I, I would love to visit Le Mans if I ever get a chance. But mm. uh, if I if I couldn't make it there, I would love to go and I would love to go and watch. Say, I would love to go and watch the the, the Dubai 24 hours because I do. I, I I similar to yourself with the Daytona. I absolutely love that race because it's. I think it's one of those races. Uh, it, for me, it it doesn't seem to get enough. Uh, it doesn't seem to get enough uh, like credit or recognition like you like you'd get with Daytona or Le Mans or even like the Nurburgring Twenty Four. It seems to be, it's 
how can I say it? It seems to be one of those races. It seems to fly under the ra- the radar for some reason. Yeah, Dubai is an interesting one. I've never, I, I, I've always tried to watch it and found it hard to do so. It's always felt like the coverage hasn't been, um, you know, it's not, it's not to the same level as Daytona where you're able to kind of keep tabs on everything that's going on. At least not for me, anyway. But that's another one that I'll always end up watching because, again, it's right at the beginning of the year. You feel like you've missed out on a lot of motorsport, so you, you take anything you can. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, that D- Dubai is always one that that kind of yeah it doesn't get enough recognition and it is a really cool event i know i i know a couple of people who have that as one of their favorites um and yeah i think i need to pay more attention to it as well i I think i need to give it more of a go when it happens in january yeah it was one of those it used to be one of those events uh, it was was still it was still popular but it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to get but it wasn't really popular as it is today i think he Having having the the team in place uh, that calling the calling the races from the the team from a uh, radio radio Le Mans or radio show limited that seems to have uh, seems to have give that give the that event a, a bit a bit of an extra boost and it seems to get more like recognition now especially from like drivers and teams from say like all over the world you've got your you used to have like or you, you do have uh, like the likes of a uh, like WRT and uh, also the uh, also, Black Falcon, the Black Falcon Mercedes, and uh, who, <coughs> excuse me, who else? You've had the like Phoenix racing as well, and uh, quite a few European teams that have made the made the trip over to race. And it's a it's a brilliant track as well. I, it's not represented enough in sim in sim titles. I think um, I think the one I've played it the most in probably would be Project Cars Two, um, and as well as a couple of mods for a set of course. So it's a it's a really good track. I'd I'd like to see it you know brought to wire racing or something like that so you know uh, we we see a lot that when something is brought to sim racing it it renews some kind of interest in it i think we saw it with super formula when they added that to wire racing a, a lot of people were like wow i've heard about this but never really paid attention to it and, and i i i wonder if if you know if they added dubai uh to to wire racing or a similar title whether it would experience a similar sort of thing i i'd, I'd like to see that yeah, I'd would, I would love to see. I mean, I've done some races. I've done some races around the place on a on our facts too. But I would like to see it on on i racing because I've always, I would always like. Well, me personally, I would love to do like a or take part in a Dubai twenty four because I do think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, and it's different. You know, we we've seen in real motorsport. You know, there's been this expansion into Middle Eastern territories over the last twenty years or so. Um, you know there isn't a, a a long race like this you know you know we got the abu dhabi race which is is pretty cool but that could be longer in my opinion it, that that would be one of the crown jewels of sort of middle eastern motorsport um yeah th- th- dubai kind of sets itself apart as being the only really long race of that kind of caliber in in the middle east so it it it'd be a different kind of thing to your daytonas or your le mans if we if we got it on on i racing and of course the fact that it's a different kind of car set, you know, the the primary class being uh, uh, GTs, you know, we've got a couple of that on iRacing, and they always do feel different when you when you miss the prototypes out of it. Indeed, and yeah, uh, I'll go back to uh, sub racing in, in a little bit, but also, yeah, uh, look looking at the motorsport season this season uh, or this year rather, uh, how do you think it's been uh, in general? Uh, say a NASCAR, IndyCar, the uh, WEC. Uh, the IMSA, the how, or basically we'll start off with NASCAR. How do you think uh, this season's went? 
or how do you think it? Uh, do you think it could? It was a bit up and down because I know I've I've spoke I've chatted to some people are on social media. Some people have been saying it. Uh, uh, the champion in NASCAR for twenty twenty three didn't really deserve it because of uh, the play the because of the playoff format. But I think uh, looking at it, uh, Ryan Blaney, the considering that he he was he wasn't really in contention at the at the start of the season and halfway through the season. I think uh, to get it to get himself back into it and make the make the play the 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 championship four or playoff well yeah championship four I think he he done well to win the championship against some really tough competition yeah I think that's always going to be a debate when it comes to NASCAR especially with the new playoff format is you know entering the playoffs your main contenders you would have said for the championship would have been William Byron and Martin Truex you know they they really did a great job during the regular season and you know that's 26 out of the 36 races that's that's the lion's share of the season they were doing really really well for so Whenever you, you know, th- this format enables a wild card driver to kind of come in and sweep it away all of a sudden. Um, and, and to that, I say, you know, I've seen a lot of people say maybe Ryan Blaney didn't deserve it. And I, I guess that, that he competed and performed to the best of his abilities and made the most of the package that was given to him. You know, that you, the whole point of the playoffs is that you have to execute on the races that matter. Um, so firstly you have to win a couple of races to make sure that you're absolutely guaranteed of a spot in the playoffs once you've done that all your focus really then goes into the playoffs and then Blaney executed where a lot of other people didn't you look at Martin Truex Jr he was really really good in the regular season and then just totally crumbled in in the playoffs same with Denny Hamlin same to an extent with William Byron you know he was relatively strong throughout the playoffs but when it came to Phoenix it wasn't quite there so Whilst when you compare NASCAR to traditional racing championships with traditional championship formats, you would say it's a bit gimmicky, and I would agree it is. I think the thing with NASCAR is that they know what they are. Uh, they 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 know that they prioritize entertainment over you know your traditional championship kind of integrity. Maybe I don't know whether that's the right word. You know they they know what they are. They're all about the entertainment, and if nothing else, the playoff format is entertaining, and when you've got the player format, you've got to execute in the races that matter. And Blaney did that. So yeah, I'd say he's a deserving champion. Um, as a, as for the series as a whole, it's interesting that so many championships at the moment are bringing in kind of new generation cars. Uh, you see it with formula one with the ground effect with, with formula E in the gen three car. Um, and then you've got NASCAR's next gen car, which has been in its second season. And I think there's still a lot of work to go. Um, you know, just this week they've been testing um, all day at, at Phoenix uh, yesterday to try and improve the short track package because it, it's been awful this year. Some of the races have been absolute snooze fests because the, the car just doesn't do anything. You can't race with it. So I, I would say there's potential for NASCAR to, to to really sort it out and for there to be some really, really exciting racing, but they need to make the right choices with the car. They need to give them more power and less downforce, which is what everybody seems to be telling them, and they don't want to do it. Um, but, yeah, if, if they can sort out the car issues, I think 2024 could be a really, really exciting year. Um, and even, even this year, that wasn't that bad. So, Looking ahead to next season as well in NASCAR, we obviously have got some... They, I can't remember who's coming to moving up to the Cup Series. I know that they've got... The, We've got John uh, John Hunt, Hunter Nemechek moving up to NASCAR. How do you 
uh, yeah, I think he's moving up to is a Le- Legacy Motor Club, I believe it is. Yeah, he's going up to Legacy and they're switching over from Chevrolet to um, Toyota as well, which is going to be interesting. Um, Legacy, you know, they've got Jimmy Johnson behind the wheel of the 84 for a couple of car- a couple of times a year. That's going to be weird seeing him in a Toyota, not a Chevrolet. Um, I, I'm Yeah, the, the rookie class doesn't look that impressive, to be fair. I mean, we've got Carson Hosevar making a jump up from trucks, skipping Xfinity to go straight to Cup. That'll be interesting, but... He's going to be an Aspire motorsports car, which hasn't been the most competitive before. Uh, John Hunter, he's a really, really talented driver. He he bossed a lot of Xfinity this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does it, his second shot of cup racing. But um, I, I think it's it's been a while since we've had a rookie come into the, come into the championship and just blow everybody's socks off. Um, even the likes of, of, you know, recent newer names in NASCAR, like Chase Elliott, you know, when he came in, he didn't exactly blow everyone away. He made the playoffs, which was impressive in itself. But, he, you know, he, it took him a couple of years to make that step up. And I think the problem they, they might have in NASCAR nowadays is that the, the next gen car is so different from its lower categories. You know, they, they say that the truck is a lot more representative uh, or, or a lot easier to jump to cup from than the Xfinity. The Xfinity is so different now. So uh, it, it's it's an interesting kind of hurdle for them to negotiate. Yeah, and I mean, you were talking about Chase Elliott when he moved up to the Cup Series. He, he never really, he wasn't really, uh, yeah, he wasn't really on it straight away. It probably took him a good couple of years uh, to to really get to grips with the uh, Cup racing because the uh, Cup racing, it's maybe some people think, oh, moving up to Cup racing, it might. I wouldn't say it'd be easier, but they'll get up to speed quicker. And also, I think uh, I think some people seem to forget as well that cup racing is a lot more. How can I say a, a lot more kind of like bit was it argy bargy or get more elbows out because everyone's a uh, everyone wants to win. And also, especially up at the front and maybe in the mid pack as well, you've got so many good drivers. You've got so many good teams, especially when you you look at the likes of the uh, J- uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Penske. Uh, who else? Uh, uh, I can't remember. But also, you've also got the likes of, uh, especially the uh, twenty, was it twenty three eleven racing with the mm. uh, Tyler Reddick, and also the uh, coming into form, the or doing well this year rather was Bubba Wallace, and yeah, there's plenty, there's more and more drivers starting to get get in the mix. Yeah, I think NASCAR is unquestionably one of if not the most competitive championships in all of motorsport you know there's not many other championships that any driver could win on or that many drivers could win on any given weekend you know the amount of different winners we had this year from different teams different points in their career you know everyone from from you know the veterans like martin Truex jr was dominating for a lot of the year then you had william byron who's relatively new doing his thing they're both in competitive in in traditionally competitive cars so that's not so much of a surprise but then you know, you get the likes of Michael McDowell being a, a very consistent top 10 finisher, not just in his usual habitat of road courses, but on ovals as well for front row motorsport. And and then, yeah, th- there's so many different teams that can win in Cup Series. And, and they often say that it, if you ignore the front battle, it's just as intense, like if, if not even more so, in the positions all the way down from like uh, 10th all the way down to like 27th. They're still battling like every single position matters. And and that's another thing to do with the format. You know, every position kind of does. Because so often you'll get to a cutoff race in the playoffs and it will be down to 
a, a, a guy finishing 16th instead of 15th to, to transfer. You know, it's so intense. It, you know, every part of NASCAR is intense from how competitive everyone is, how close they are, the nature of the racing, meaning that you can be a bit more rough with people. And then, you know, you've got a, you've got a championship format that really does reward that that kind of winner takes all mentality. Um, it, like I said, they, they want to be an entertainment series and they accomplish it more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people give the NASCAR stick because they, they so basically some people say, like, oh, NASCAR is trying to fix it and kind of like fix the races and whatever. And it's like, mm, I don't think so. It's more, yeah, they maybe they're not fixing fixing the races or trying to kind of like fix the result, but it's more like you say, NASCAR has always been always been a, I guess a. Not an entertainment show, but more an or an entertainment series when it comes to motorsport, and I think that pretty much sums up or sums up the series perfectly. I think. Yeah, exactly, and and you know, I I wouldn't go, I I wouldn't rule out the possibility of in the past there having been a couple of questionable decisions made, or um, you know, certainly with the Daytona five hundred pole, uh, you know, around ten years ago. Um, through to about you know five years ago or so there there certainly seemed to be some uh questionable things going on to see who managed to get the pole for that race but on, on the large part of it i would say that you know they, they aren't fixing anything as you said I, I i'd say um you know it's it's more just how close it is and you know often they'll make some strange decisions to penalize certain people for saying certain things i'm thinking denny hamlin several times this year also a kyle, kyle Busch in the past yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm only um, here because so I don't get fined. Exactly. What's is absolutely comedy gold. But all of that kind of plays into to the whole entertainment side of it. You know, every sport needs a villainous figure, and um, or, or someone to root against almost. And and you know, Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin have certainly played that role in the in the past few years. And and NASCAR, you know, they I don't think they fix the races, but they do create these opportunities for these more entertainment focused moments like you know finding certain people like denny and, and kyle and creating that that pantomime villain kind of role yeah i think i remember denny, denny hamlin the after uh what race was it? i think it was martinsville when the he was he was having a moan having a moan or complaining saying like oh it's just short track racing and i'm like just because he got taken out yeah yeah that's just short track racing that that's like an iconic line of NASCAR at this point. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, look at it, uh, look at NASCAR as well. I think the, the the thing that impressed me the most was the, I think it was the Daytona 500 with the, oh, I can't remember his name. He, he races or has raced in rally, uh, rally cross in, in the past in America. Is it uh, Tara Faust? Uh, Travis Pastrana did yeah, it Travis this year Pastrana, for uh, twenty three eleven. Yeah. Yeah, I think he finished. The, he had a chance to finish up at the front, and then got caught up in a wreck. I think, but he still managed to finish. The, was it eleventh? I think he finished, which was considering that it was his first time at Daytona in the in the five hundred. I think that was a, a really good result. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that NASCAR's really, really um, cashed in on this year is the is the crossover appeal. You know, you're having Travis Pastrana at the start of the year. That felt like a crazy moment. And then we heard about Shane Van, Shane Van Gisbergen coming over. And, and immediately those who knew Shane Van Gisbergen were like, well, he's going to have a really good chance to win that race in Chicago. 
um strangely all the people in nascar didn't seem to really take him that seriously and then he won it um he won it was it chicago i think yeah the chicago street circuit and you know that kind of fits into his wheelhouse you know driving big heavy powerful cars on a street track and in the rain you know that that suited him a lot but you know that exposure to that different audience that wouldn't traditionally watch nascar and then then you had multiple guest stars throughout the year like jensen button and uh Jordan Taylor made a start at Cota. I think he made another start at the Roval, if memory oh, serves. Also, um, we had the Mike Rockenfeller and the Kimi hmm. Kobayashi. Yeah, and Kimi Kobayashi and Brody Kostecki in, at the Indy Road Course as well. That I think NASCAR opening itself up to the wider motorsport community has done them a lot of favours. And I think it's also, you know, a, a lot of people, especially in Europe, look at NASCAR as, as inferior. I, I mean, I certainly did when I first started watching motorsport. Um, but but hearing these drivers that they know and respect so much going over to NASCAR and, and struggling so much in, in a lot of cases or just generally enjoying it a lot has, has done a lot for NASCAR's international appeal. And I think, uh, also, excuse me, I think uh, last, season, last, season, last, season, sorry, last season as well, uh, we had the uh, Kimi Raikkonen racing at Watkins Glen and I think uh, for his first time he, he was doing really well running inside the top 10 at one point. Yeah, he was. It was such a shame that that got cut off. You know, he, he got involved in a wreck that really wasn't his fault. Um, then came back to do Cota and, and was, was in the leading group on the final restart before um, everyone went a bit lungy. Um, <laughs> and and I, I know Jensen Button was quite shell-shocked by that restart um, uh, after the race. But yeah, all all of that helps to just, you know, give NASCAR a little bit more credit. It is one of my favourite motorsport categories to watch all year. And then looking looking ahead to the looking ahead to the the Amza season as well. We this year be obviously I can't remember was it was this his, no was this the first year of GTP or was it was this the second year? Yeah, it was it was the first year. Sorry, I think. Uh, well, basically looking ahead to uh, looking ahead to, to GTP. Okay, how do you think uh, GTP was in Amza this season? I mean, we had the we had like really really close racing, and also I think uh, this year also. All, Obviously, with Penske and the Porsche racing in IMSA this season, they've done a lot, a lot of testing. I think they started testing back in was it late twenty twenty one or early twenty twenty? Oh, yeah, I think it was around about twenty twenty one. They started testing and uh, de- developing the car, and the everyone, everyone was expecting them to turn up to Daytona and pretty much say, I wouldn't say blow everyone away, but they, they pretty much do well, and they, I, I. Me anyway, I was surprised that Penske and Porsche had the lots of reliability issues at Daytona. Yeah, you, you know, you take the phrase Penske perfect throughout motorsport of of forever. You know that that's always what you've associated them with them with them with. And I think it just goes to you know it's a testament to the other competitors in the championship that they were able to make Penske look amateurish at times. Um, but you know, looking at IMSA and sports car racing as a whole. Um, I think that's been the success of the year, really. Um, the the new GTP, LMDH, whatever, regulations have, have really, really worked. And you just have to look at the interests from manufacturers. You know, next year we're going to have 19 different cars in in the uh, hypercar class in WEC. I mean, you look a couple of years ago and we only had five. Um, IMSA's on a huge expansion as well. You know, we had about eight cars of that a couple of years ago. And now next, next year we're going to have... Like, at least 12 for every single round. Lamborghini coming in as well. 
world-class drivers jumping in at every opportunity similar to nascar you know the crossover ability you, you know you've got jensen button and joseph newgarden doing it quite a lot now as well marcus erickson's going over uh, uh, sports car racing really does feel like it's entering its, its new golden era uh, it, it's a term that's been coined a lot but i think it's absolutely right and for me personally you know sports car racing has always been something that i've struggled with uh to, to find as entertaining um you know i started watching motorsport in like 2010 and and you know started watching american racing like indycar and nascar before i started watching european sports car racing because you know it just the grids weren't quite there for me it wasn't quite exciting but the transformation that both that the imsa and more notably wec have gone under the new regulations over the last few years has been incredibly exciting um i i'm i'm really really excited for for daytona in january to kick off another season for 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 the first year of a new regulation in IMSA to have been so competitive, um, I think it's only going to close up even more as the years go on, and then you know balance of performance gets gets closer and closer. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really really excited for what's to come in sports car racing. Yeah, me as well, and I think uh, I think the the thing that everyone likes uh, about the IMSA Wick IMSA Wick now, and also GTP or hypercar in general is a. Uh, if a, if a team from IMSA wanted to go and race in Europe or say go and race at Le Mans for example they can take that car over because it's, it's helpful for both, both series so I think that uh, with IMSA and WEC and uh, the whole con- convergence thing it's pretty much a, a win-win for like, the, both series in general and for teams in general as well that want to maybe want to not race say a whole season in both series but maybe like I say they wanted to go over to Le Mans and maybe do do a race at Spa and prep a race for Le Mans they, they could go over there and they do, I believe that they, would, they wouldn't have to make any uh, make any like say changes to the car it would pretty much be eligible as it is yeah I, I believe one of the most complicated ways of uh, or one of the most complicated things you have to do to convert say an IMSA car over to WC or vice versa I believe that each series has different mandated wiring or something like that under the shell, which is quite an annoying process, they've said. But they're, apparently the, the bodies of both are looking at trying to smooth out that process to make it even easier. But yeah, I, I'd agree that the, the whole convergence thing has been an absolute masterstroke from, from both IMSA and WEC. You know, you've got very similar kinds of championship from, from both sides of the globe, and they both benefit from from collaborating with each other. And yeah, it's, it's the the crossover of seeing certain IMSA cars racing in in Le Mans was brilliant. Um, you know, Porsche. Whilst you know that Toyota have been massively ahead in WEC, you know there were a couple of times this year where the IMSA cars did look competitive. Um, you know, notably Fuji, where Porsche led a lot of that race. Um, I, I, again, I think WEC that's going to be another one where as the years go on, it's going to converge more and more. You know, the fact that Ferrari were able to win at Le Mans. Um, in their first try um, is is enough of a testament as to how close it's going to be at some point. I think what I'm really excited for is the inevitable moment where we get a WEC team crossover into IMSA. I, I want to see what would happen if Toyota came over to do the Daytona 24 or something like that. You know, we've seen that it can work the other way. I just want to see what happens if 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 they if they do it that way as well. Yeah, I mean, the, I've been hearing or. Yeah, I've been hearing, reading, well, yeah, hearing a lot of stories about Toyota. They would love to, they would love to try and come over to IMSA, but I think uh, if they do come over to IMSA, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be branded uh, a Toyota as such. It would be it would probably be the same car, but just rebranded as a as a Lexus through, uh, through Lexus, uh, pretty much uh, who are a 
pretty much kept. I don't know how I would put them. Maybe a, like a sister company to Toyota. Yeah, it's a similar thing. Like we've heard with um, there were talks about Dodge potentially rebranding one of the Peugeots because they're all under the Stellantis group. Um, or you know, there've been talks of of uh, Wayne Taylor wants to take Acura over to do Le Mans, and there was potential that they might make that a Honda, for example. Yeah, that that kind of collaboration is cool. Um, I, I think probably the most likely first manufacturer we're going to see go from WEC to IMSA is probably going to be Ferrari, consider, considering they have a strong presence in IMSA already in, in GT classes. Um, yeah, I, I'll just be really interested to see how the different design philosophies work against each other. You know, the, the WEC cars uh, and designed cars have, have tended to favour themselves in WEC over the IMSA class. So I'd be interested to see whether the WEC cars going over to IMSA would struggle because of that rule set. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that when that inevitably happens. Yeah, and looking looking ahead to 2024 as well, the, obviously, like you mentioned, we've got loads of uh, manufacturers, uh, we've got new factors joining uh, excuse me, Hypercar or uh, GTP over in IMSA. And, uh, I think it, especially with uh, Lamborghini as well uh, joining a uh, and Lamborghini, as we speak, are over at Daytona testing, and the, what's the, the the mandatory the mandatory IMSA test at Daytona. And how do you, how do you see a Lamborghini getting on? Obviously, it's a new car, and they've been doing they've been doing testing as well. Maybe not as much testing because obviously, they think they had a they had a crash at Paul Ricard's and during one of the tests, and also with in Italy as well. Not too long ago, they had the, that terrible rain and flooding as well. So. The, their testing schedule, I feel like, kind of got set back. But how do you see them getting on? Do you think they, they they'll probably they'll probably encounter some the first race or the yeah, first day long distance race, say, a reliability problems, or do you think do you see them getting on the getting on it a sort of straight away? It could go either way. I mean, you just have to look at how the manufacturers got on with their first race last year. Um, you know, take BMW for example. That their first uh, uh, race at the Twenty Four, um, and they were kind of nowhere. Uh, they didn't have much pace, and if they did have any pace, they weren't able to use it because they'd retired um, with with early issues. But you look at the transformation they went on since then, and they were able to win races by the end of the year and be competitive relatively quickly. I mean, like like I said, in in January they were falling by the wayside at Daytona, and then in uh, April at Long Beach they were in contention for the win. Uh, it you know the, the these manufacturers are really really capable of, of doing extraordinary things with development and, and and real track time. So I I don't think it'll take long for Lamborghini to get up to speed with things, especially when you consider they're being entered by Iron Links. You know they're they're an extraordinarily capable uh, uh, team. So you, you know I'm I'm sure there's the potential for there to be some struggles, and if there are, I, I'm I'm sure they will work it out. Yeah, it was similar to a uh, Pen- Penske Porsche as well, or basically Penske and Porsche. Uh, they were pretty much having issues in the early stages of the season, and then uh, probably similar to BMW halfway through the season at Long Beach, they managed to uh, take their take their first one with, uh, I believe it was was it Matteo Germany and uh, Nick Tandy. Yeah, and and that's the thing, you know, that that all of these groups that are fielding every single one of these manufacturers. Or, or, or every single one of these GTPs, they're all incredibly capable, successful outfits. So I think that's what's made IMSA especially so competitive this year is that you know there hasn't been any one that's had an advantage. It really does feel like 
every every race weekend there was in IMSA this year, a different GTP was the fastest one from a different, either be it a, a different manufacturer or a different team. Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't see any reason why that will, that won't continue. And you know, there's going to be more and more manufacturers coming in over the years, not just Lamborghini, but Alpine and and, and, and several others. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, a testament to the uh, the entrance and the series itself that that make these regulations where it doesn't take long for anyone to get up to speed, really. And as we look at uh, IndyCar as well, this season I think uh, yeah, IndyCar. Well, I don't I don't know how to describe this season in IndyCar. Obviously, oh, oh, there was plenty of close racing throughout the field, but you have to for the all the controversy that is is caused uh, in the last couple of years. Alex Pillow was pretty much the, yeah, pretty much the, pretty much the dominant form. The pretty much doing what he done the with his first championship. The man, yeah, took took the championship and they thoroughly deserved it. Uh, how 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 would you rate his uh, Alex Pillow's season? Oh, pretty much perfect. You 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 don't get many. You know, a, a championship as competitive as IndyCar, where so much of it is spec. Um, obviously there are differences and there are some fast teams and slow teams, but to be able to have a season like Alex had, you know, he, he, his best, his, his worst finish was two eighth places. That was it. He, he had like, I think he had five wins and, and, and a lot of other podiums other than that. And then just a couple of races off of the podium. And, you know, it, it's an, it's, it's such an impressive feat to be able to do that in a championship as competitive as IndyCar. Um, I, I, you know, it's it's so rare. You know, you see you see a championship dominated in Formula One by 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 either Max Verstappen or over the years like Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, and you know you're like, oh well, you know that's mostly the car. But when it happens in IndyCar, you, that's something special because, you know, yes, he was in one of the quicker cars, but he still had to beat Scott Dixon, his teammate, in the same car to do it, and and we all know how good Scott is, so. Yeah, Alex has been a, a proper revelation in the world of motorsport over the last couple of years. You know, he, he came into IndyCar a few years ago as a relative unknown, and he's already a two-time champion. You know, the only thing he's missing from his IndyCar resume is a 500 win, and he's perfectly capable of that. He he's he's only been here for a short amount of time, and yet he's cemented himself as one of the legends of the sport already. Yeah, and talking about the. Yeah, talking about uh, Scott Dixon as well. Considering he's a, I think he's a, he's a forty or forty-one or something like that, or in his early forties anyway. To still be, to still be at the top of his game, still taking wins uh, in races is just uh, remarkable. And I think it's just, uh, yeah, just pretty much shows how talented, talented Scott Dixon is. And I think uh, if it wasn't, I think it was last year. If it wasn't for that uh, pit lane speeding incident on the pit lane last year, I think he could have easily won the, the Indy Five Hundred because his car. Uh, in, in my opinion, was probably the, the quickest car of May that month, or pretty much the quickest car of May uh, last year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. He was on for that, absolutely, and and yeah, I, I agree. He's for for you know this year has kind of been you know a, a, a realization from a lot of people that age does not really matter in motorsport. Um, you know, look at Fernando Alonso and what he's doing in Formula One, and and Scott Dixon still being able to perform at the level that he does in a championship that's so full of up-and-coming, extraordinarily quick young drivers. I mean, you, you, know, you look at the, the top six of the IndyCar championship this year. You had Pelot, McLaughlin, O'Ward, Newgarden, and Ericsson. And in the middle of that, Dixon. 
you, you know, he's been around forever and he just hasn't lost anything. And, and you know, his ability to do it, it, it all as a complete racing driver, you know, his, his wins at the, the second Indy Grand Prix race and at Gateway where he, he made a, a completely alternate strategy work for him and executed it to perfection. You know, they said at Gateway, as soon as they heard that Dixon was on an alternate strategy, a lot of them were like, well, he's won it then. You know, there's, there's not many other drivers who can do that. Um, and, and, and then you, you factor in the fact that he's 43. You know, it, it's unbelievable what he's able to do at his age. Um, it, it just goes to show age really doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, when you look at a... Yeah, as you say, like Scott Dixon, he's pretty much in his early 40s now and he's still, still doing the business. And I think, honestly, I think if he can get a good start to the season in 2024 and maybe take a couple of wins, I think... It's a long season, but I think he he could uh, he could be in championship contention, and I think I think he's he's, a, he's one of those drivers that he, he won't he won't retire or retire from IndyCar in, until he gets uh, at least another championship or maybe another five hundred win. Because I think I think honestly he's still got he's still up to it. I think he's still got he's pretty much uh, still up to the challenge of taking another big one in Indy or the another championship. But I think he. If he if he does eventually from tire from IndyCar, I think he he'll probably I well, I I would love to see it anyway. I think his focus will probably be on IMSA, maybe not full time, but maybe as an endurance driver. And I think with uh, his fuel his fuel saving techniques that he used the uh, in IndyCar in the past, I think it seems to for what I've seen in the in IMSA and also just the the races endurance races in general that the fuel saving technique that he uses seems to work in IMSA. And I think uh, it's just something that. that something he's learned from indica yeah he's a threat in whatever he drives and you know the the outings we've seen with him in imso over the last few years have been equally spectacular as his indycar performances um you know we, we've seen fuel saving and and long run pace be a massive thing in endurance racing obviously and and it's something that a lot of young drivers have to get that experience in you know be it in formula e where you know energy harvesting and all of that's really important be it an indie car where fuel saving can make or break a race um you know complete drivers like scott dixon are in very high demand um and and yeah as, as you said that i i don't see him it, 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 he's one of those drivers at the age that he's at and with the success that he's had he could retire at any point you know he doesn't have anything to prove anymore um but equally you know I, I could see him wanting to win one more championship and then leaving on that high of being the champion um but it's all dependent on on putting together a consistent season indycar is so close with so many people capitalizing on mistakes that if you have one mistake that can completely out completely ruin your championship i look at will power like this year compared to last year he, he was last year's champion again at the age of like 41 so he he's you know proving that the uh, the older guys have still got it and yet he had one too few many mistakes this year and was seventh in the championship instead of winning it and and that's ju- that's ju- you know a difference of 12 months can see the champion fall down to seventh it, it's so competitive in indycar so yeah to, to be up against all those young guys and to be able to do it uh, full credit to both dixon and power for, for being able to do so and then looking at looking at the rookies at, uh, at race in indycar this season obviously for me, the standout rookie uh, for me anyway was probably Marcus Armstrong. The, considering that it was his first season in Indica, uh, IndyCar, uh, I think uh, towards the end of the season his his results started uh, 
getting better and better. And I think uh, he's he's one that I'm really going to look out for in 2024. And I think uh, this season, he, he, for his first season in IndyCar, and also with uh, a team such as the uh, CGR, I think he'd done really well. Yeah, and it's a shame that he didn't get a full season to do it. You know, he was on a part-time schedule sharing the car for, with uh, Takuma Sato for the oval races. And and given that Takuma wasn't exactly spectacular in his two oval races to start the year, I, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't give Marcus the chance to do the ovals toward the end of the year. Um, but, you know, he's got a full season next year. He, he was rookie of the year despite missing all the oval races. Um, he, he could have very easily won at Road America had he not been put on a terrible strategy by his team. Um, he, he's been spectacular. Um, and, and, you know, there's been a lot of drivers who've come into IndyCar in recent years as rookies and done really, really well. You know, you look at Christian Lungard almost winning on his debut halfway through the season. You look at Linus Lungfist, you know, he did, he did well enough in his three starts this year that he's now got a full-time ride with Ganassi next year. Um, that's that's the thing I like about IndyCar is it, it's this melting pot of drivers at varying degrees of their career. You've got the young guys proving themselves like Alex Palou over the last few years, like Linus Lundqvist, like Marcus Armstrong. Then you've got the veterans like Dixon and Power and, and, and Castroneves. And then you've got drivers coming over from other championships to tr- try and, you know, prove to themselves that they've still got it or something like Romain Grosjean or, or, or other drivers like that. You know, it's it's such a, a melting pot of different drivers. It just makes it so interesting up and down the grid. Absolutely. And uh, before we move back on to some racing, before we close out, uh, who are who's your prediction for the championship uh, this uh, or next season rather? And who or who do you think will be worth keeping an eye out for uh, when it comes to the rookies? Oh well, I mean, I think. Linus Lundqvist will still class himself as a rookie considering he only did three races this year. So I think it's hard to look past anyone but him for for rookie honours next year. You know, he's in, he's in a Ganassi car. He's extraordinarily talented. He can win on ovals, road courses, or street circuit. It's hard to look past him. Um, you've got a couple of, uh, of, of wild cards in there, like uh, Kiffin Simpson. He's going to be doing all the rounds for Chip Ganassi as well. Um He's been kind of here or thereabouts in sports car racing, so he'll be quite interesting. Uh, Chris, Christian Rasmussen, obviously the champion of Indy Lights, he's going up to Ed Carpenter Racing, but he's only doing a part-time schedule. I, I guess if he does well enough in his other rounds, he might be up there as well. Uh, you got Tom Blomquist as well. You know, Mayor Shank Racing, they haven't been amazing in IndyCar recently. But, you know, th- th- there's, there's so many people who could do well as the rookies the next year. As for champion... Or, I don't know, it, that's the thing, with, with Alex Pelot in his current form, it's hard to not consider him or Scott Dixon for the championship. Pato Award feels like he's been on the cusp of challenging for a championship over the last few years. He he and McLaren just need to get the consistency throughout the whole year. Same with Colton Herter and Kyle Kirkwood, to be honest. Andretti have really been disappointing over the last few years. They, you know, they've been blisteringly fast sometimes but then disappear off the face of the earth the rest of the time. So, you know, it, it's hard to pick one or two people, but looking at it now, I, I'd have to go with the boring choice of Alex Polo. You know, you, you can't, you know, he is one of those drivers on this grid who could win every single weekend. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go boring and say Alex Polo. But for the 500, which, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, the 500 is perhaps more important than the championship. Um, you know, you've got even more people to factor in. You know, you've got Kyle Larson going over to do it with McLaren and Hendrick. 
Um, you know, I'm sure he's going to be a, a, someone to be reckoned with, given the amount of testing that they get as well. Uh, Penske have been really good at the 500 the last few years as well. Obviously, Newgarden won this year. Uh, Scott McLaughlin's been up there on pace. Um, oh, who do I want to pick? I, I'll actually go with Pato Award for the 500, I think. Um, he, he's extraordinarily determined. He was really, really quick this year to do it. Um, you know, just fell foul in the closing stages after contact with, I think it was Marcus Ericsson. Yeah, I, I, that feels right. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll go O-Ward for the 500 and Polo for the championship. Yeah, I think uh, my pick for the 500, uh, it's, a tough, <laughs> it's a tough one to, to say, but I think if it comes down, consi- down to consistency, just for, uh, from the past, the uh, I think I'm going to I'm going to go with Marcus Ericsson just because yeah he might not be at CGR for next season but I think uh, he always seem he always seems to have a good momentum and good form at Indianapolis and Andretti are always quick there as well so that that's going to be a hell of a lineup for Andretti next year as well having her to Kirkwood and Ericsson you know Ericsson was someone who came to IndyCar you know with a a, a substandard. Formula One career, a lot of people didn't really expect him to do that much, and he's been a, a really big surprise as well. And and you know the manner of which he won his 500 a couple of years ago was extraordinary as well. So yeah, if Andretti can give him a competitive car for the 500 or for the championship in itself, he could easily be capable of doing both. That's the thing with IndyCar. There's so you know 27 full-time entries, and you know you could look at any race weekend and any 20 of them could win. It's it's I love IndyCar. <laughs> Yeah, me too, and I think uh, next season will be a good one to watch. But uh, yeah, switching to some race before we close out, uh, yeah, a bit, a bit of a topsy subject, and you'll probably know what's coming. The iRacing and MSG and IndyCar, the, can you see IndyCar coming back to iRacing? And if so, when do you think that will happen? I, I, I think so, and hope so. Maybe more hope so than think so, I don't know. Um, you know, they, it was such a good partnership in the years prior to the fallout and the MSG agreement. Um, and the fact that they've already got all the content there, you know, you've got the current car minus the hybrid technology that they're adding this year. You've got the vast majority of the tracks. You know, g- given that that agreement with MSG and IndyCar is now dead in the water, that, you know, that was the only thing stopping iRacing from having the IndyCars running on their on their actual tracks you know the, the indycar still races in its own series but uh, because of the msg contract they weren't allowed to race on the indycar tracks which was massively frustrating um I, I don't see why you know with that agreement with msg now gone i don't see why they can't just revert back to just allowing indycar to run i racing to run the indycar on 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 their tracks um I, I, you know, I think it would have been a bit much to hope for that for this season. I've, I've just looked at the calendar for for the uh, IndyCar official series next year and uh, this season, and there's no real tracks on there from IndyCar. So, you know, it was a, the, the breakdown with MSG happened a little bit too soon for something to happen immediately. But I could very easily, it's it's one of those things. It could happen for next season. It could take a bit longer if the relationship's still a bit frosty. But genuinely and i'm not saying this just as somebody who's ma- a massive fanboy of iRacing and indycar it makes sense for both parties to just go back to it you know we know that indycar wants to have a standalone game and i completely understand why you know you, you look at nascar and they've got the perfect situation where they're going to have a standalone game eventually made by a competent developer to, to to cater to the casual fans which are really important 
And then you've got the full simulation aspect on iRacing for those that want to take it further. That's the perfect kind of, of setup you can have as a racing championship when it comes to video game presence. So if IndyCar can do the same thing where they can get uh, a standalone game either made by iRacing or another developer and then have a full simulation version through iRacing um, available as well, that's the best of both worlds. So in the, in the meantime, you know, we know that that's going to take a while for, for the IndyCar standalone game to come out. So why would you not just revert to a game that has all the content already and, and, and allow people to, to, to race it again? You know, it, it hurt a lot of people when they split. Um, <laughs> who'd have thought an IndyCar split would, would happen again? Um, so, you know, that it would, it would rectify a lot of wrongs if they were just able to, you know, both be the bigger party and just, you know go back to what it was because it was really good before and i really missed doing the 500 special event yeah i was going to say i missed doing it as well because it's one of those <clears throat> excuse me it's one of those uh, events that i always like doing and also especially especially after winning the the major series a uh, indy 500 or speedway 500 because of uh, they, they named it that because of msg reasons at the time a uh, i've probably probably quite annoyed a lot of people saying that but as well as but uh, yeah, uh, one in a 500 race on iRacing has probably been the highlight for me. And, and I think uh, I would love to see iRacing. And, well, I think uh, iRacing, in a way, were kind of... They were in that situation. Their they, their hands were tied behind their back with uh, the IndyCar pretty much uh, turning around and moving over to motorsport games, which I think was... I still, I still think it was such a stupid decision to do that at the time because... Uh, the reaction from the IndyCar community was, uh, yeah, I don't like to swear, but it was quite a lot of uh, pissed off IndyCar fans. Yeah, and IndyCar's a series, you know, as, as for as many things that IndyCar does right, there's a lot of things that it doesn't do right. And I think marketing in general is one of their major weak points, you know, be it both the fact that, you know, the season's really short and then when they're in an off season, you really don't hear anything from IndyCar until the season starts ramping up again. So, you know... A negative story against IndyCar hurts them a lot more than it does any other championship. Uh, just because, you know, it, it isn't as widely regarded as a lot of other championships. Even in America, if you ignore Formula One, NASCAR is still the king. Um, so then to go and piss off a large a large proportion of your fan base uh, by doing a deal like that that was... You know, it, everyone on the outside could see that it was a bad idea, you know, but cash is king, I suppose. Um, or, or, and then to have nothing to show of it at the end of it because it's all but collapsed now it, it's a massive own goal for IndyCar so uh, I think they would do they would win back a lot of people by sitting down with iRacing and doing a deal not to add anything new necessarily but just to make the most of the content that's already available on iRacing you know all it would take is a yeah you can run this on the other tracks again and, and you can have an Indy 500 special event again you know, they don't have to add anything. They just have to go back to what they had, and it would be so easy to do, I'm sure. So I'm I'm really hopeful that that will happen in time for the special event in May, um, if not sooner. I, I'd I'd love that to happen again. And also with the motorsport games, and also uh, the Le Mans Le Mans oh, second Le Mans Ultimate game, they plan to be released at some point next year. Honestly, can can you see that happen if the MSG goes under? No, I I really don't. Um, you know, a lot a lot of the speculation about IndyCar and and you know that games being putting on suspension, uh, quote unquote, 
seemed to be suggesting that they were trying to raise as much money as possible to try and get Le Mans Ultimate out because that game is essentially done. Um, and whilst I believe that if that game were to be released, it would be the strongest game that they have released yet at MSG, um, I, you just can't... Uh, to, to have any kind of hope that it will come out is a little bit foolish. Um, it could happen, sure, but it's extraordinarily unlikely given their track record. Um, you know, it, it was meant to be out now. Let's not forget, you know, the fact that they've had to postpone it to March that that late before it was re- released, that's not a good sign. And, you know, we know they're hemorrhaging money from their earnings calls and, you know, there, there's a lot of lawsuits being won by former employees for missed pay. Um, you know, the license agreements that they've done and, and, and faulted on, such as with BTCC and IndyCar, they're going to require payments as well. I I wouldn't be you know I I wouldn't be hopeful that that game is going to come out. And uh, yeah, and also if uh, if uh, Motorsport Games goes under, do you think uh, even though it's on R Factor Two, do you think uh, the the Le Mans Virtual Series uh, will do you think that will be impacted? I mean, I that's the thing you know it, it's kind of a related point, but the I I would I could care less about Motorsport Games, but the one concern I do have is with Studio Three Ninety Seven because. R Factor Two, whilst whilst a divisive sim and and sometimes quite difficult to get working properly, it's it, the potential there, and specifically with the developers at Studio Three Ninety Seven, is really really high. So I would hate for anything that's on their side to be impacted by Motorsport Games' complete mismanagement of funds, expectations, and everything. Um, and and I extend that to Virtual Lamar. You know, the, whilst that was divisive in you know being you know they took away the the traditional special event for uh, for iRacing Lamar because you know that's the real Lamar in virtual Lamar now um the events that they were able to put on as a part of their championship were really really good it was some of the best esports events I've seen when the servers weren't crashing um so I, I again I'd hate for that to happen but if if that has to go down the drain for it to go to a more competent party, then so be it. Um, I'd love to see a day where, you know, Virtual Lamar is on iRacing or something like that, or even if it stayed on R Factor 2, but was then just, you know, that they were allowed to, you know, proceed ahead without the hands of MSG mucking in or trying to mess anything up. You know, that, that that's my key from it, is that I, whilst I want MSG to go down so that exclusivity licenses can't be a thing anymore... I don't want Studio 397 to go down with it because they're an extraordinarily talented group of developers and they're capable of really good things if they can be left alone to do it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Virtual Le Mans series and also when it comes to Le Mans and the Virtual Le Mans, uh, yeah, it's very, some of the stuff that's went into it the last couple of years, obviously you've got like commentators, but also like the behind the scenes stuff and production stuff is just probably, for me, it's probably been one of the, it's probably been one of the best things I've seen, uh, just like the the professionalism that goes into it, and also you've got the uh, real life commentators that commentate on Le Mans that, that are involved as well. You've got the uh, Ben Constanduras, uh, Martin Haven, you've got Alex Brundle, you've had the uh, just to name a few that have been involved, and I think it's a, it's a great thing to see. Yeah, and that's that's one of the best things. You know, if if there was any positive that could have come out of the the COVID era, uh, it was the fact that you know that the the link between sim racing and real racing uh became so strong and i think it was always heading that way but it was kind of accelerated by you know the 
the need to do it quickly because of the lack of real motorsport. And and what what that's meant is that you've got a lot of respect both ways now. You know, the sim racing community has always had a lot of respect for the real racing because, you know, that's why we do it, because we love real racing. And so we do the sim version because it's as close as many of us can get. But there was always a little bit of a question mark going the other way. You know, the, tr- the more traditional racing fans and also the real racing competitors and entrants. You know, there wasn't too much respect going back the other way apart from a select few. Um, but but yeah, that, that, that necessity of there not being any real racing so sim racing had to take up. You know, that, that's, that's been largely beneficial for the sim racing community. And seeing examples, as you said, with Virtual Le Mans and the way that the World Endurance Championship and the commentators and the teams all took that so seriously and then you know you extend that out to the the imsa esports championship that's currently happening with uh, you know that you you watch those broadcasts and to the untrained eye you can't tell a lot of the difference between that and the real product i think that's the the real key strength with sim racing you know when you compare the virtual equivalent to any other champion to, to any other sport like fifa or, or anything like that you know the, the 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 differences between sim racing and real racing are so much less than the differences to any other sport and its virtual counterpart be it from just the visuals to the thing you know you can actually drive with a steering wheel and pedals the only thing you're missing is the forces i, th- I think yeah the last few years have really strengthened that tie between real and sim and it's really really good to see for it, it, you know the growth in sim racing over the last few years has been absolutely fantastic for what has traditionally been a really niche sector so yeah it's, it's really good yeah i, I agree 100 percent, and i think uh, it's good to see it's good to see real life drivers uh, getting involved in real life teams as well as well so uh, real life teams as well getting involved uh, and i think it's just uh, shown that sim racing now especially over the last couple of years it's, it's definitely coming in handy uh, and it's starting to starting to get uh, more and more popular but uh, yeah, as, uh, as that's uh, pretty much coming up to the end of the show, and, uh, first of all, Jordan, it's uh, been good to have you on. And uh, yeah, uh, is there anyone that you want to give a shout out to uh, or a thank you to uh, before we wrap up? Well, uh, first, thanks for having me on. I've, I've really enjoyed being on 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 the show. Um, yeah, other, other than that, just a shout out to my co-hosts at uh, the Into the Palette podcast, uh, Greg, JD, and John. Um, like I said earlier, it's been really, really fun this year getting back into talking about real motorsport, and yeah, I've, I've really, really enjoyed that. So if 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 anyone out there wants to listen to um, more from me for some reason, then uh, be sure to check us out over at Into the Paddock. Um, big thanks to everyone at the Into the Apex Podcast Network for the year as well. It's been been really good to get to know that lot, and uh, yeah, all the teammates at, at Pax Oceania. I'm excited for our next year of uh, sim racing action i can't wait to see which one of us is going to be the first to put a car on its lid <laughs> and it's uh, it's been good time you jordan and then the good good luck for the rest of the year eh? and also 2024 and the on the sim racing front and also podcast front as well thank you very much yeah and to you as that was a uh, jordan groves joining us say uh, on the podcast and they uh, i have to say yeah uh, a big thank you to him for uh, for his time and uh, joining us and uh, yeah make sure to keep a look out for uh, into the paddock podcast and also into the into the apex podcast uh, for now uh, catch you later <laughs>